the district superintendent taught me the phrase compassion fatigue. And um, we were talking about news headlines, and I brought something up that had happened, and she said, you know, I've had to steer away from news right now. I'm finding myself in a state of compassion fatigue. And so I looked it up on Google because I, I had never heard it before. And psychology today tells us that compassion fatigue is what caregivers experience when they have been taking care of trauma patients for a while, and they start to exhibit symptoms that sometimes are similar with the patients that they're working with. Other times they're completely different. One common reaction is actually to become sort of hardened to situations where compassion is required. And, and so I really I thought about this idea of compassion fatigue in the general public, and I looked some more, and sure enough, they're starting to see that people in the general public populace, all of us, are experiencing fatigue from the amount of bad news and media that we get exposed to. And, and so I invite you, if you start feeling that, to, uh, to definitely turn the TV off. But um, I'm going to take you through some of what we've had in the last week that we've had to deal with in our, our news. We've, we've learned Brexit happened before this, this week started, but we've been hearing more and more about the aftermath, and there have been protests like yesterday, and you know all this debate about was it um, xenophobia and racism that led to this vote, or was it really just economic instability? What was it that brought us there? Um, of course, we had... Istanbul Airport and the terrible tragedy that occurred there. Um, and I don't know if you noticed at the very beginning, Turkey couldn't figure out which of its two enemies was most likely the culprit. They had two people who were so angry and capable of doing this to them. And, you know, and then we've also had Bangladesh happen in the last couple of days. And we find out this morning that three students who are students in the U.S. Um, were harmed in that attack. Uh, even our stock market is in the headlines, and I think our stock market is experiencing compassion fatigue. Um, and it only adds to our own stress when we live in a world that we constantly see as broken. Our politicians, too, they continue to behave in ways that are more similar to what we see in our preschool classrooms over here. They are calling each other names, engaging in sit-ins. They're bullying. They're refusing to cooperate. They want to change the the rules to the game midstream because they're not winning. Our political system and our politicians are broken. And you might think that people who share a common respect for spirituality and religion, maybe we could get together and work on some of these problems together Maybe we could unite and bring some healing into the world. But no, instead of seeing our commonalities, we point instead to our differences. And instead of learning about the other, we kind of turtle into our shells out of fear. Our religious systems and our interreligious systems are broken. And news from the United Methodist Churches is not much better, frankly. We've had disruptive protests in our world meetings that absolutely stop the business. We've had disagreements over who can and cannot be married and ordained. We're putting clergy on trials. Churches are threatening to not pay their apportionments. And the apportionments, for those who don't know, that's the money that all the churches pulled together so that the United Methodist Church can run. 
And there are churches that are saying, we're not going to pay our apportionments if the rules don't change. And there are others that are saying, we're not going to pay our apportionments if the rules change. Our church is broken. And I have to think that when Jesus gathered his closest friends in that upper room, if you read some of that scripture closely, he's about to be betrayed. And I think he was feeling much the same way, that his world was broken. If you look at the Roman world back then, I'm pretty sure the Romans invented bullying. I'm pretty sure they invented crooked politicians. I know they were experts in terrorism. They definitely lived in a world where there was religious and cultural pluralism, where multiple gods and goddesses were worshipped. But that only led to conflict. Whose God is better? Who's worshipping the right way? Who's making the right sacrifices and offerings? If the crops didn't grow well, whoever made the sacrifices for fertility that year, were, they were blamed. Those were the women. The Roman world was very broken. And even the Jewish world in which Jesus lived, it had its issues too. Jesus was trying to explain what's the most important law. He was asked that. He had to explain what was allowed on the Sabbath, allowed to be done and not done, who you were allowed to spend time with. There were different factions, we know that, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, and Jesus' followers, they were another faction. The ancient Jewish world was broken too. So Jesus had to find a solution. And you know what he did more than anything else? He brought people together over a meal. There is so much eating that happens in the Gospels. So many stories revolve around gathering together at a table in fellowship, in fellowship with people who were not like Jesus. He gathered the clean and the unclean. He gathered Jews and Romans together, people who were different. He brought sinners and other sinners together, people who held different worldviews, different political views, and they had to look at each other across that table And they had to talk to each other and eat together. And you know what they did? They solved the world's problems eating together at a table. Have you ever done that? You get a great group of friends together and you have dinner and you solve the world's problems at that dinner. If only it were that easy. (laughs) Jesus ate often with people. In fact, on his last night with the disciples, that's what he chose to do. He shared a meal. They had table fellowship. They sat together, he broke bread and fed them. He gave them a cup to share and said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for you and for you and for you and for you. I'm doing this, he said, so that that anything you have done, any disagreement you've had, any harsh words or mistakes you've made, any injustice you've done, intentionally or unintentionally, I am doing this so that when you come to this table, all that brokenness is going to be made whole again. So once these Jesus followers started sharing meals together and breaking bread and sharing a cup, everything was perfect, right? No more disagreements, no more different understandings. All the followers of Jesus became one, and they lived happily ever after. 
Of course not. Everybody's shaking their head. (laughs) Jesus stressed the importance of repeating this action in the future. Do this in remembrance of me. Not once, but over and over again. You know why? Because Jesus knew it wasn't a one-time thing. He knew we would mess up again and again. He knew we would need to come back to this table and sit together and share a meal. This meal. We would need to be reminded of that new covenant, that promise that we've committed to. He, would knew, he knew we would need to forgive and to be forgiven. He knew because we all live in a broken world and we need to be made whole again over and over and over. But when I think back to that simple meal that Jesus shared with the disciples and then sometimes how we carry it out in church, it's so neat and tidy the way we do it here. We sit quietly in our pews. We come forward at the direction of the ushers. We quickly take our bread, dip it in the cup, say a quick prayer and go back to our pews. And I wonder, is that what Jesus meant when he said, do this in remembrance of me? Is this the way we take our brokenness and make it whole? In a Bible study recently, we were talking about communion, and one of the women said, sometimes I'm just not ready to come forward when the usher gets to my row. Sometimes I want to sit there and prepare myself a little longer. Sometimes I want to pray at the communion rail before I take communion. But I feel like I have to go when the usher comes to my pew. This is my chance. Otherwise, I might miss it. How does that make our brokenness whole? Well, we're going to try something a little bit different in a few minutes. And the ushers are hearing this for the first time. I apologize to you. Uh, (laughs) I've got to give you guys a little break during communion. Usually they work so hard. But I'm going to ask you to sit in your pew and come forward for communion only when you are ready. And maybe that means you want to pray first at the rail. And that's fine, too. And, and we'll have, Diana said, we'll have music as long as we need for everybody to get communion. If you need us to come to you, we will do that also. There is no rush here. There's no rush to making something whole again. When I was in seminary, we had a class called United Methodist Polity, which is the rules, polity are the rules that govern our church. And the teacher of that class, he threw out a question one day. And he said, who would you not serve communion if they were to come forward? And immediately, people in this class, who are now pastors, started throwing out categories of people. Someone said he would never serve anyone who was impaired by drugs or alcohol. And someone else suggested they would never serve somebody who had committed a violent crime. Another person said, I would never serve someone of another faith. And I'm sure you can imagine that the debates in that room were loud and strident. But see, the question was a trick question because our United Methodist polity says, you serve whoever comes forward to this table to be fed. Whoever needs to be healed, that's who you serve. And I remember the teacher saying, you serve everyone. You may need to have some follow-up conversations, some really hard conversations with some of those people later. But don't you want God working from the inside through that experience at this table while you're working on the outside? So we United Methodists, we have our disagreements, and we struggle sometimes to understand all the perspectives all around the world of United Methodists. But we do agree that this table is open. 
to anybody who wants to come forward and be fed. And we believe that the only way to cure the brokenness of our world is to get as many people together as possible around a table and to gather in fellowship and dialogue. So as we come to this table today, today, again, I invite you to move slowly, to acknowledge we have messed up, that we live in a broken world, to promise to try harder to love your neighbor, and to carry all that brokenness to this table and leave it in the hands of the only one who can hold it. And as we take this bread and as we drink from this shared cup, Know that God embraces us with God's promise to guide us through all that brokenness and all that compassion fatigue, to heal us, to give us rest, to love us no matter what, to take our brokenness and the brokenness of the entire world and make it whole again. Amen.